Please do uh, keep uh, uh, 2 Corinthians open. I say that as I've just closed it. <laughs> um, and hello, my name is Adam Curtis, and I'm uh, the curate here at Christchurch. So the task of the uh, 21st century believer is a task that is very long, and it's a task which has been going on for a long time, to live and to speak for Jesus. But have you ever found yourself asking a question? Who is equal to that task of living and speaking for Jesus with all of life? Uh, maybe maybe you're, you're in the school classroom and someone uh, hears that you're a Christian and immediately they're like, oh, they must be transphobic. Oh, who's equal to that, that task of, of answering that objection when you haven't even done anything? Or, or, or maybe... Uh, your parent or godparent or, or grandparent and, and um, your child asks you, oh, isn't, isn't faith just some great leap in the dark? Like, like, can we really know that something is actually true? Isn't belief just opinion? And it's like, oh, who is equal to this task of answering, <laughs> answering these questions? Or maybe you're, you're a neighbour and you look at your block of flats and you look at your street and you see lots of closed doors, and it's, how can I make a gospel impact, a kingdom impact here? Who is equal to this task? And I get that. I get that feeling. I've read more books about Christianity and science than I, than I care to remember. I've written essays on the topic, but yet if someone throws a question about, about science and Christianity and evolution at me, because I have a mind like a sieve, and in that moment, it's like, oh, I can't remember anything useful to say right now. And intellectually, I'm like, who is equal to this task? I know that Christianity is academically rigorous, is logically consistent. I know that there are wonderfully helpful things to say to you right now, and I sound like a blubbering idiot. Who is equal to this task? Or, or who's equal to this task when we look at ourselves? When we think, okay, am I meant to be some great advert? for following Jesus Christ? And yet, yet, am I really living that radically different to the people around me? Or do I, it, can, can people hear of Jesus on my lips and see Jesus in my life? Am I really much of an advert for, for him? Who is equal to this task? And what does God have to say to us as we ponder that question? Well, as we ponder, let's come in that posture of humility and let's pray. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we come to you with our, our questions. We come to you with our fears and our doubts and our uncertainties of how to, to live for you. And as we come, we come to your word and we humbly ask for the leading of your spirit that your words of power and truth might convict and shape our hearts and our minds and bring us to Jesus this day. In his name, amen. Well, we land today in 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is a letter with a big purpose. Back in 2012, I went to the Paralympics uh, basketball competition between England, uh, sorry, GB and Germany in the O2. First time I'd ever been to uh, wheelchair basketball, and it was, it was amazing. 
Uh, and, and one of the things I particularly enjoyed about it was the crowd participation. Because whenever the, Germany went on the offense, whenever they started attacking the Team GB, we as a crowd had, had a role to play. And our role to play was, was to chant, defense, defense, defense. But imagine thousands of people doing that, and it's quite impressive. Every time Germany attacked, we would chant defense. And, and Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it is a letter where Paul is defending. He's defending himself from attack. He's defending his ministry. And he's defending this young church. And we thought, what was quite a few weeks ago now, when we looked at the start of the letter, how there's this, this choice that the Corinthians have. Who are they going to listen to? And, and one option to listen to is, 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 is someone who like, wears a sharp suit, who speaks incredibly well, who's so eloquent and logical and academic and, and is there and present and says exactly what they want to hear. That's one option. And another option of who they have to listen to is, is the beaten up preacher who's not even there, who said he was going to come and then didn't even come. Paul himself. And they're given that choice. Who are they going to listen to? And then Tom uh, uh, marvelously took us through what I always think is a tricky passage in 2 Corinthians, where Paul gives a long description of how he changes his travel plans. And, and Paul was continuing to defend himself. That, yeah, he had to change his route, and he couldn't get to Corinth as quickly as he wanted to, but this was all part of God's plans and purposes. And now this, this message of defense now continues. And uh, as, we, as we turn here to 2 Corinthians... Well, we start uh, in verses 12 to 13 with a bit of a bridge passage where we still hear a little bit more about uh, the travel plans of Paul. And we, and we hear how he was going to Troas, uh, but then he was felt particularly anxious there because Titus isn't there, so he went off to Macedonia. And, and this sort of like concludes that long section where we heard about Paul's travels and his plans. And, and actually, anyone who was looking on the outside as if you remember a few weeks back to, to Tom's like, map, Paul like, does this big U-shape, and then he does this U-shape back, and then this U-shape back, and it's like, what are you doing, Paul? Where are you going? Because actually in some places you go and you feel anxious, and then there's other places you go, and there's a riot. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Is this really effective? What are you doing? From the outside, he doesn't seem very effective, but that's not the reality. The reality that Paul wants this young Corinthian church to know, is that he is part of a triumphal procession. Verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Now this language of triumphal procession, this sort of brings us uh, into the language of, of Rome because it was very common in those days, when, when a, a, a Roman general has won a particularly like, impressive uh, battle, uh, the Senate of Rome would allow him to parade through the city, and thousands of people would come. And as the doors were sort of like opened, firstly would come like trophies of his victory. Then would come these huge paintings of these battles that he's won. Then he would come sitting on some chariot covered in purple and gold and the crowds would go crazy and after him would come um, uh, his those he's captive. And then after that would come his soldiers and it would, it would have just been so impressive. 
And Paul is here saying that Jesus Christ is leading him on. He is that, that Roman general. Paul is leading him on and, and, sorry, Jesus is leading him on and Paul is part of that crew of people who is following. Is he one of the slaves who was captured or one of the soldiers? We're not, we're not told, but he is part of that procession. That as people see him, they see the glory of the general. And it is Jesus who takes them. But also as he's going, as he's, as he's following Jesus, he's spreading an aroma, an aroma wherever he goes, an aroma of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So as Paul goes along, he spreads. Sorry, Rita, slightly covered there. <laughs> he spreads the aroma, this amazing smell of Jesus Christ, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it, it, it's interesting, as he's going along in this passage, Paul uses the same language and he flips it and changes it quite a lot. Because we have in verse 14 that the, the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then in verse 15, he uses aroma again, but he flips the meaning a little bit. For, for verse 15, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So it's we're the aroma, um, we are the aroma, sorry, for we are to God the aroma of Christ, not of God, to God. And suddenly this idea that, so as Paul's following Jesus Christ, he's an aroma which everyone else is smelling, there's a vertical, but there's also a horizontal element to how he's an aroma. And actually, God himself is smelling this aroma. And he's smelling, smelling, and he's pleased by it. And this sort of takes us back to the language of Leviticus and how a burnt offering is pleasing to God. So this work of Paul's is pleasing to God. But then, because Paul loves to flip things, <laughs> he then takes us to verse 16 and he flips it again, still using this language or aroma, but this time he turns it from the horizontal back to the vertical. And actually all these people who are smelling Jesus, actually people respond to this aroma in two very different ways in a love and a hate sort of way, in a Marmite sort of way. Some people are going to smell Jesus and they're going to absolutely love it. Tom, are you a lover of Marmite? So if you had to smell, are you a lover of Marmite in your family? No. There's a mixed opinion. <laughs> don't, don't worry, I assumed you were, I was wrong. <laughs> but those people who like Marmite, those people who love Jesus Christ, those people who hear this, this message, like, oh, yes, this is the one I was made to know. This is beautiful. And then there are those people who don't like Marmite. Oh, actually, I, think that, I just think that is absolutely revolting. And they just think it's torture. And in the same way, there's those people who hear about the message of, of Jesus Christ and they hate it. They hate it. And it is a message of, of death to them. But this same aroma, this same message, it is like Marmite. And so this draws Paul to ask the question. Look down, verse, verse 16. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life, and who is equal to such a task? Mighty Paul is asking that question. Who is equal to such a task of being this aroma? Being Marmite. 
who is equal to this? And you get why he would ask that. You get it, don't you? Who is equal to such a task to be that message of Jesus Christ which brings life, which brings people from spiritual death to spiritual life, from spiritual blindness to spiritually seeing? Who's equal to, to, to that miracle of a task? But also, who's equal to that task of, 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 of this aroma which is death? Which means we, we speak about, about sin and about condemnation, about God's judgment, and, and, and you feel the, the, the pull in our, our society, our friends, our family against that. Like, oh, I don't really want to hear about that side of, of what God is like, that he is just. Who is equal to such a task? You can sense the logic of that question. And then we're provided with two options for who is equal with such a task. And the first option we're told about is that those who wear the sharp suits. Those, those charismatic speakers. We're, we're told here in verse 17, Paul calls them the many. The many. But these are people who, who peddle their message for a profit. And these are people who, who arrived in Corinth with sort of letters of recommendation. With, 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 other, with other people, who, who, whoever knows whoever those other people are, saying you need, to, you need to listen to them. So they arrive there in their sharp suits. They're great speakers. They're, they're peddling their message for a profit. This is worth paying for. They've got loads of backers behind them. That's option number one. <laughs> option number one. But then option number two of who to listen to, well, it's the beaten up pool. It's the beaten up preacher who's, who's not even there. But Paul is defending himself by saying, but this beaten up preacher who's not even there, well, he is the one who is sent by God. He is the one who's making his proclamations to God himself, who lives for the audience of one. And he is the one whose letter of recommendation, well, he has a living letter. Because it is this church which he has established. They are the letters of recommendation in Corinth itself. And actually, the author of this letter, that Corinthian church, is Jesus Christ. And the ink which is on that letter is the ink of the Holy Spirit. So that's, those are the, the options. Who are you going to listen to? The many, the sharp-suited, or the beaten-up prophet? And what then is the answer? Who is equal to this task of being the aroma of Christ, of life and of death? Who is equal? Well, let's look down. Chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Paul is confident, even though he's the beaten up preacher who's not even there, that it is the, that the Corinthians should be listening to him. And he is confident of this. Why? Not because he sees himself as being particularly competent, particularly in comparison to the, to the sharp, suited, charismatically dressed, letter recommended preachers. He's not competent in comparison to them. He is confident because of his competence, because his competence comes from God himself. It is God who has made him, this beaten up preacher, to be competent. 
one of the, the writers on this, on this passage, a guy called Guthrie, uses this phrase. Paul is inadequately adequate. He's inadequately adequate. Or we, we think uh, of C.S. Lewis and, uh, and, and the tale of Narnia. We think of Edmund, the traitor who betrayed his own family to the white witch, who was then made a king. Inadequately adequate. I can't even speak today. <laughs> Inadequately adequate. Oh, you know what? That's gone. We'll forget about that word. <laughs> but God makes his ministers. He makes his messengers. He makes his workers competent. He will always make his workers competent for the task that he has for them. Now, Paul's defense, it sort of has two sides to it. On one side, you have Paul defending himself as a minister, but on the other side, you have Paul defending his ministry. And actually, Paul is arguing that this ministry, this message, is so much more glorious than what the sharp-suited, letter-recommended preachers are offering. Look down at chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, so he's talking here, letters of stone, he's going back to Sinai, the Ten Commandments, Moses giving that over. Now, if the ministry that brought death, was, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? You see, these sharp-suited, letter-recommended preachers wanted to take people back to the ministry of Moses, the ministry of the Ten Commandments, of the letters written on stone, a ministry which had a glory, a glory which transformed the face of Moses himself so it shone. These, these, these preachers want to take the Corinthian church back to that, that form of ministry. And Paul here is creating a comparison He's saying, well, that ministry, that, well, it, it brought condemnation. It was glorious, but it's transit, transitory. It's passing. Where in comparison, Jesus, this ministry of the Spirit, where it brings righteousness, it has surpassing glory, and it lasts. Paul is creating a comparison here between the ministry of Moses, which was like a fire at night. You know, you love huddling around a fire at night and watching the, the flames as they dance and huddling close so you're warm. And it's beautiful and it has a glory, undoubtedly. But that glory fades in comparison when the sun emerges. The heat from the fire fades in comparison to the warmth we receive from the sun. The light of the fire fades in comparison to the glories of the sun. And actually, this, this ministry of Moses, well, there's nothing bad about it, but it's passing. It was good. It was good to know, that to feel the weight of sin, which the Ten Commandments told us about, to feel that condemnation so that we might cry out for Jesus. Those are good things. But it is nothing compared to the glory of the sun. 
It is nothing compared to the glory of this spirit-filled ministry, this spirit-filled message which Paul is bringing. And what are then are the results of that, of that message? Well, we haven't got time really to go into the, this beautiful little passage, verse 12 to 18. But the results are, you sort of have on one level the sharp-suited, lecture-recommended, Moses-preaching preachers, they, their, their ministry would take people back to Moses, but, but they would in such a way that they would be veiled, those who go back to him. They would be veiled, but not how Moses is veiled. Because Moses, he, he would go into the tent of meeting, he'd speak with the Lord, he'd leave the tent of meeting, his face was shining because he saw the glory of the Lord, and so he'd place a veil over himself. But no, this veiling is a veiling of, of the heart. It's a dulling of the mind. It's a stunting in spiritual growth. And actually, that would be the result to listen to those sharp-suited, charismatic preachers. In comparison, the result of listening to beaten up Paul, well, in beaten up Paul, that, that, that veil over the heart is removed. That dullness is gone. That stuntedness isn't there. Instead, one can experience freedom. A freedom, freedom from sin. A freedom from condemnation. A freedom from separation with God himself. And there is more. There is more. Look down at verse 18. Look down at verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In the same way that Moses would enter the presence of the Lord in the tent of meeting, and his face would shine and be transformed, in the same way we can contemplate the Lord's glory and we can be transformed. And there's a now and a not yet sort of feel to this transformation. The now of that transformation is a mind and a character transformation. Our, our mind's being transformed to think like Jesus. Our character's being transformed to live like Jesus. And there's a not yet element of this transformation as well. The not yet element that one day when Jesus returns in glory and the heavens and the earth are married together, then our very bodies will be transformed. And we will have glorious bodies. There's a now, not yet, element to that transformation. But what does what is all this, all this truth, how does this land with us here in Sidcup today? What does God want us to take from this today? And I sort of think there's a sort of a multiple element of application from this passage. On one level, 2 Corinthians is always ask, forcing us to ask the question, who are we going to listen to? Like, are we going to listen to that letter-recommended, sharp-suited, incredibly charismatic preacher who's taking us back to something we know very well and, and giving us that thing which our itching ears want to hear? Or are we going to listen to that beaten-up preacher who speaks of the, the, the message of reconciliation and the, the, the covenant of the Spirit? Who, who are we going to listen to? The one which the world commends or the one which God commends? Who are we going to listen to? But also... It helps us answer that question. Who is equal to this task? 
Who is equal to the task of being the aroma of Christ, of following Jesus wherever he goes, of being that aroma which is life to some and death to others? Who is equal to the task of, of being the aroma of Marmite? <laughs> Who is equal to that task? Well, God makes his workers, his ministers, his messengers equal to the task. God makes us equal to the task. So that student who, who, uh, who, 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 who's living for Jesus at school or university and someone's like, oh, well, they must be transphobic. Oh, they're Christian, they must be transphobic. Well, well if we think about Paul, who, as he went preaching the gospel, well, he experienced riots and persecution and, and, and people trying to arrest him and to stone him. And yet, even in the midst of him living and speaking for Jesus, the church grew and multiplied and expanded. When we think of that parent who's asked that, who's asked that difficult question, isn't faith just some blind leap in the dark and isn't truth just subjective? And when we think, oh, who's equal to that task? Well, well, Paul was dragged before Roman authorities and Jewish authorities. He was dragged before them in front of thousands, in front of the mob. He was dragged before them after he'd been probably tortured in prison. And yet God always gave him the words to speak. Who is equal to that task? That neighbor who looks at that block of flats or their, their row, their street, and just sees closed doors. And how can I be a positive impact for Jesus Christ here? Who is equal to that task? Well, Paul had his plans, but God always opened the door. God always opened the door. Because God always makes his workers, his messengers, his ministers equal to the task that he has for them. God has glorious things for us to achieve, good works for us to achieve here in Sidcup, collectively as a church, individually in the lives that we live. And it is God who will make us, who has made us equal to that task. Let's just meditate on God's word for a moment and then I'll close in prayer. Not that we are competent to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Our dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you that you have called us into the situations where we are. In these social situations with friends, in our family situations, in our work situations, in our living situations. And in every single place you have good work for us to achieve and to fulfill. And help us, Father God, when we do feel overwhelmed by the task that is in front of us. And help us to rest in the fact that you are the one who makes us competent, equal to the task that you have set before us. And thank you, Father God, 
that though there are many who will smell the aroma of Jesus Christ and flinch, there are many who will smell it and will shout for joy that finally they can be at peace with their maker. In the name of Jesus. Amen.